Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 258. So on the weekend, I did a three-hour man-trailing workshop with Hank. I like to call it man-hunting, but <laughs> it's actually called man-trailing. Man-trailing is it's a sport that trains dogs to find people by following their unique scent. It's done in search and rescue with police dogs. And the process really begins with the introduction of a scent. So a scent article. And it's a piece of clothing or a personal item with the subject or the lost person, the person that's being trailed with their unique scent. And it's presented to the dog and the, the dog who is trailing is called the trailing dog. And once the dog has uh, smelt the scent, they are then set on the trail and encouraged to follow it using their nose. So it is like a nose work sport, I guess, that, uh, you know, can be really handy when people are lost. Anyway, on the weekend, it was a surprisingly dry day in Vancouver and there were about five of us in this workshop which was all about learning how to man trail manhunt <laughs> and there's a couple of things that I learned on the weekend that I thought they work really well when it comes to our training so there's this ritual that you perform with them, with the dog, before they start trailing to signify or signal that the game is about to begin, that they're about to go to work, essentially. So first, you have them wear a specific harness. So it's not the harness that, you know, I walk Hank in every day. We bought a second harness. And so that's the first kind of cue or signal is that they know because they feel this different harness on them. You also attach a specific item to them. So like a collar or a bandana and they signify that they are going to trail as well. So that's kind of the second cue is that they get this collar or bandana placed on them so before the trail begins you lead them around in a circle just so they can acclimatize uh, acclimate to the space to the surroundings they can just sniff and pee uh, and just get settled and then you place the item on them so you place the collar or the bandana and the trailed person, so the person that's going to be found or going to hide, hypes them up. This is just while they're learning. Uh, when they are more advanced, they actually don't see the person at all. They just smell the item and then they go trailing. But while they were learning, the trailed person is there. They're hyping them up. They have a tub of really high value treats before dropping their scent item on the ground and then they run and hide. We then have, we worked on learning like a signal for them to smell the item and then we need to say, so it's something like two verbal cues, go sniff and point with our two fingers and then we say trail. Then the hunt begins or the trailing begins. 
So throughout why the dog is searching, we just we're just meant to be a guide. We're behind the dog and we're allowing them to lead. We're interpreting their behavior and we're just we're providing support so we don't get involved. So that means the dog is leading and we are following. We don't interfere. And it was really interesting. Nikki, the instructor, said that this was the hardest part for most people. So most owners want to interfere with the search, especially when the dog looks like it's going off trail. Anyway, Hank was, he was a natural. Uh, For those of you who know me and know Hank and maybe have followed us uh, on, on the gram, he is a scavenger. So he was a street dog and loves nose work. (laughs) And he was just, he was a natural. He took to it. And we both had such a great time learning this activity together. We were outside for three hours. Uh, So we'll be doing a lot more of it. But the two really cool things here that we can take into our training. The first is the importance of a ritual before you start training. And I was having a conversation with a warrior last week. She's newer into warrior school and she's having a really hard time starting the training, starting the practice. And one thing that we were speaking about was this idea of creating a ritual before you start training. What are the one to three things that you can do that signify that it's time to start training? So for me, uh, I get up in the morning, I have coffee and a snack, I walk Hank, I come back, I have breakfast and then that morning routine or ritual and the time of the day signify that it's time to start training. I could add another thing in which is being in my gym gear and so as the dogs had to wear a special harness and then we had to put something on them like a collar or a bandana to signify that they were going to work or the game was beginning we can do the same thing we can put on it could be even new gym clothes that make you feel amazing so you could buy a couple of pieces special pieces that you wear when you're going to do your practice going to do your training It could be the time of the day that signifies that it's time to start training. It could be a couple of the things that you do. So with this warrior, I said, well, we could, you could walk the dog. And then once you get back from walking the dog, that signifies that it's time to start training. With another warrior I was talking to who also struggles with her training time. We were talking about when she finishes work we're trying to get her to get more steps in and and some more movement. And so she goes for a walk around her neighborhood or she starts to walk home from work or she walks part of the way. And then what she was doing, she was coming home and then she was sitting down for hours and then wouldn't do her practice until later at night. And so we were looking at the one to three things that she could do that signify that it's time to start training. So for her, it was walking part of the way home from work or walking around her neighborhood for a block or two for 20 to 30 minutes and then coming home, having a snack and getting straight into the practice. So the first thing, if you're struggling with consistency in your practice, it ain't going to happen. It ain't just going to happen. It's like the dogs don't know what they're doing. 
while they're trying to learn a new skill or a new game. It's the same with us. If we don't have a consistent practice, well, then we need a ritual or we need to include things that signify that it's time to start training. It's time to go to work. It's time to play the game. The second is the importance of not interfering with the practice or the food all of the time. And I see this a lot. If something doesn't feel right or if something seems to not be working, we can't let it be. I've got a lot of women that obsess over it being perfect or if something's a little bit off that that's going to stop them. And one of the big takeaways that I took from the weekend was that we can't interfere. And so with some of the dogs, because when you think of scent and we're in an outside environment, the scent carries. So the wind carries. Now we can't smell it because our noses are super crappy compared to a dog's. But when you were trailing with some of the dogs, you could see that they were going off scent well, what we thought was off scent. And a lot of them, and as the instructor said, we want to interfere, but they're just working. They're working on the scent and the scent might be bouncing off a concrete pillar or maybe, you know, the scent is getting uh, carried by the wind. And in the end, all of the dogs figured it out. They got to the trailed person and they found the person And often when things aren't going perfectly or right, we just want to interfere all of the time with the practice. We want to constantly change it or change our food or maybe if our biofeedback is a little bit wacky or we're having a period of time where we're not sleeping well. A lot of us get obsessed with that and then we just want to go into fix it mode. And I would invite you to think about this idea or concept of not interfering, just let it be for a while. The body is the boss. She's extremely intelligent, just like our dogs are extremely intelligent. They know what they're doing. Their noses are so intelligent and our body is way more intelligent than our mind. So if we're constantly interfering with her, we're interrupting. We're interrupting. We need to let her lead and it's our job to be there to discern what she's telling us and to give our support to her. It's not our job to let our mind take over because the mind doesn't really know what it's doing. Anyway, let's talk about today's uh, topic, today's hot topic, how to hit your protein goal when it feels like too much food. So I was asked a question a few weeks ago and the question was, do you have tips for hitting protein goals when it's too much food? I'm struggling to eat the meals. The the woman who asked me the question gave me her height and her weight and her protein goal, which she said was 150. And then she gave me an example of what she does. I do 40 grams of protein at each meal, 20 grams at snack, and 10 grams pre-workout. I'm trying to get at least 30 to 40, 30 of the 40 grams of animal sources at main meals. It's so much food, exclamation, exclamation. I'm trying to build muscle, not as focused on weight loss for now. Please help. <laughs> it was a great question. 
So the first question I asked her was, how quickly did you transition from what you were doing or what you were trying, you know, what you were doing before to trying to eat 150 grams of protein? So the, the pace at which we do this can be important and can impact how well we receive or cope with the new food or the new load of food or the new load of one macronutrient. So that's the first place when we we need to st- we need to always do an audit of where are we now? Where am I now? What's going on now? How much am I eating now? And this is why with all of my women, I get them to create awareness through their principles. This is why we do a phased based approach because doing this stuff and then doing this stuff with strategy are two very different things. So if you're only eating uh, 90 or 100 grams of protein and then you you learn that you need to be eating 150 grams of protein and you just jump to 150 grams that can be really hard <laughs> uh, not for everyone but it can be hard and it can be a little bit stressful on the system it's like learning something new in training you know we have a way that we approach it we have a strategy and we start off with the, you know, I believe body weight strength training is the foundation in which every training practice should be built upon. Your body is a tool, you should know how to use it. And so we should be very good at body weight strength training and owning the movement through technique, quality, control before we start to make it more complex, we go faster or we add weight. It's the same with our food. We always want to do an audit of where are we currently? So that's why I asked the first question. If we're only at 80 or 90 grams of protein, we want to have a strategy to increase it by small amounts over a period of time. And there are a couple of different ways that we could do this, that we could approach it. But before I talk about that, uh, the other thing that I said to her is that the recommendation is meant to actually be based on lean muscle mass. And a lot of us don't know our exact amount of lean muscle mass unless we've had a DEXA scan. So we kind of use our total body weight to gauge our requirements. So, for example, if a woman is 70 kilos or 155 pounds, we would do the calculation of let's just use two grams per kilo of body mass per day. That's 140 grams per day. If she had 58 grams of lean muscle mass on her, we would go 58 times 2 grams per kilo of lean body mass per day. So that's about 116. So I would just round that up to 120 grams. Then I would take into account and I would consider her activity level, the type of training, her goals, her recovery. I'd look at her biofeedback to slowly develop or find a target that really works for her. But what's happening is that a lot of women are working out their protein requirements based on their current body weight and that current body weight may be well above their ideal body weight or they may be carrying more fat mass than lean muscle mass so women are coming in with requirements that are 150, 160, 170, 180, 190 grams of protein. 
And that's a lot of protein, not saying that it can't be done. I can easily get in, you know, 160, 170, 180 grams of protein. But for a lot of women eating that much food, trying to get to their total calories can be hard. Trying to eat that much protein can be hard. Trying to do that and balance out their other macronutrients can be hard. And it's hard normally for a couple of different reasons. One, the jump or jumps uh, could be too quick. So it's done without strategy. And sometimes the body just needs time to adapt. Adaptation takes time. So this is why doing it with strategy is really important. The second thing is that uh, it depends on how they're loading their meals over the day and their meal timing, which I spoke about in the previous podcast episode Often we can find it a little bit easier to eat more and meet our targets if we're front loading at the start of the day or we're loading around uh, our training or activities that require more energy. Then the third is that the activity and the movement can be really low sometimes and our biofeedback, you know, and our metabolism and our thyroid may not be super, super great or functioning that well. So that's going to affect our appetite. If we're not actually training or moving a lot, that definitely affects how much, you know, our appetite, how much food we want to eat. So the first step would be double checking your protein requirement, that protein goal. Where did that come from? Is that based on your total body weight? Do you know the composition of your body? If you don't, that's totally cool. You know, I I don't expect uh, everyone to go out and get a DEXA scan. If you are quite above your ideal body weight or you know that you carry more fat mass than lean muscle mass, this is where we can use more of your ideal body weight. This is where potentially a DEXA scan could be helpful so you can see the amount of lean muscle that you have on you. Whereas if you are quite a lean female, your lean muscle mass is going to be quite high. So for the example that I used uh, for a female that was 70 kilos and her lean muscle mass is 58 kilos. And so if we used her total body weight, that would be 140 grams. If we used her lean muscle mass, that's about 120 grams. So there's a 20 gram difference. Not saying that this female can't eat 140 grams of protein. Uh, She definitely can. She can, that 140 grams can be included in her maintenance calories and can be balanced really well and nicely with carbohydrates and fat at that target or at that goal. But let's say, for example, that this female was only eating 90 grams of protein a day. So we did some tracking and we got clear on average, I'm eating 90 grams of protein. Now, if we worked out uh, her protein target or goal based on her total body weight, let's just say it was 140 grams to go from 90 to 140 That can be hard, not for everyone. Some women are totally cool, whacking her up. But for a lot of us, that means that we need to eat a lot more bioavailable animal proteins. We need to eat more food. And so we can do it with strategy. We can actually say, okay, can I increase this by 10 grams per week? Or if I can manage, 
can I increase each meal by five or 10 grams of protein? And then I can slowly build to that 140 grams. But what I would do is I would actually start if I knew her lean body mass and it came in at that 120 grams, that would be my first target. And I do this with a lot of women anyway. I actually, we don't go to the top end range. We try and just, if I'm, if someone's eating 90 grams, I try and get them to 100 grams and then we hold 100 grams. Then we go 110, 120 and we slowly do it over a period of time. And the strategy would depend on each female, where they're at, their foundation. It will depend on her activity level, her training type, her goals, her recovery, her biofeedback, you know, how she's managing uh, adopting this new strategy. So it's very individualized. But for, ex- for this example, that's why I asked the question of how quickly did you transition from what you were doing to eating 150 grams? If it was a really quick transition, what I would say is work out if you actually need 150 grams of protein. Is that based on lean body mass? If not, let's, and I know not everyone knows their lean body mass, but we could do ideal weight or we could just bring it down. So if you don't know your lean body mass and you're around your ideal weight, I would just probably knock it back 10, 20, 30 grams and work on slowly rebuilding it, especially if you're not meeting your total energy requirement, you're not meeting your protein or that's really impacting the balance of other macronutrients. I would also, and this is an important thing, if we're finding it really hard to meet our protein goal, so say it's 120 or 130 or 140, or in this case with the example 150, what I would look at is her total energy intake. So where is, how much is she eating? Is she meeting her total energy intake goal? What are the balance of other macronutrients? Because sometimes there can be an imbalance of other macronutrients. Fat's pretty easy to hit. A lot of women, we don't really have trouble hitting our fat goal. So fat is extremely satiating. And if we're eating a higher fat diet, we're going to be satiated. So we're going to be full. And that leaves a little bit less room for us to meet our protein or our carbohydrate targets. So when I was doing my master's degree, we, it was very clinical. And so I did a lot of work in hospitals. I did my major clinical placement at Peter Mac, which is the cancer hospital in Melbourne and immunocompromised, uh, going through radiation and chemo. Or one of my rounds was on the head and neck ward. And so patients had uh, glossectomies, partial glossectomies, which is um, removal of the tongue or esophagectomies. So where they remove the esophagus or partial esophagectomies. And then so that changes what they can eat. Now for a lot of those patients, they we have to do texture modified diets 
But one thing that I learned was that the energy density of the meal is important. And we want to try and do that without increasing the volume of the meal, because it can be the volume of food that can be the hard thing to manage. And so when we're thinking about our meals, we want to think about, can I make this more energy dense without increasing the volume of the food? And this is why where we focus on those bioavailable animal proteins, we focus on roots and fruits and those uh, saturated and monounsaturated fats. All of those things are well, really good for our metabolism and our thyroid, really easily digested and absorbed, but they can also be more energy dense things. This is why eating a lot of vegetables uh, that I'm just going to use broccoli as an example, and I have nothing against broccoli. I think broccoli has a role to play. It's high in fiber. It actually helps some of my women that have uh, digestive stuff and bowel stuff diverticulitis, uh, ulcerative colitis. It can be an, it can be a cool vegetable to play with. Uh, but eating a lot of very low calorie foods, it requires a lot of volume to get enough energy in. Whereas if we took something like potato or sweet potato, there's more calories and we don't have to eat as much so we can reduce the volume. So in this case, we want to pump the protein without increasing the volume of food. And this is why looking at other macronutrients is important, because if we're overeating on fat or eating a lot of carbs and we're finding it really hard to get to our protein target, it could be that one, we're not eating enough Two, the ratio or the composition of the meals is a little bit off. And maybe we're eating foods that are lower in calories but we're eating too much volume and we're not eating meals that are energy dense enough. So let's say your goal is 130 grams of protein a day and you're struggling to get 100 grams and you eat, let's say, four meals. So maybe you eat breakfast, lunch, a snack and dinner or you eat a snack, breakfast, lunch and dinner. So maybe you eat two eggs plus some sourdough plus some fruit now, in that meal, that's on, there's 14 grams of protein there. Now, how can we pump up the protein without adding massive amounts of volume of food? We can add a little bit of collagen to our coffee. We could add an extra egg to breakfast. If we add a bit of collagen to our coffee, that's 10 grams. And if we have three eggs instead of two eggs, that's 16 grams. So instead of a 14 gram breakfast, we now have a 28 gram breakfast, 28 grams of protein. That's a 14 gram increase. And I think that's pretty achievable. If you're just having two eggs and sourdough and some fruit, that it's pretty achievable to add some collagen to your coffee and an extra egg at breakfast. You could start with just adding the collagen to the coffee and keeping your two eggs, sourdough and fruit and then eventually you could add a third egg, you know, after a few days or after a week. As I said, you know, we can go, we can make as many small moves as we want to get there, or we can make a bigger move. So a second example could be we add collagen to the coffee, 
10 grams, three eggs, 16 grams. And then maybe we add 120 grams of Greek yogurt, which is 11.7. So that's 39 grams of protein. That's a 25 gram increase. Can we do that? Again, we could layer it in. So you could go first example, hold that for a few days or a week. Then you could start trying the second example and you could even start with a lower amount of Greek yogurt and you could build that up to getting to collagen and coffee, three eggs, sourdough fruit, Greek yogurt. That's about 39, 40 grams of protein. That's a 25 gram increase. For a snack example, maybe you have 100 grams of Greek yogurt and you're having that with fruit. If you increase that by 40 grams to 140 grams, that's only a four gram increase, but I'll take it. You know, I'll take four or five grams at snacks. So for snacks, I would try and look at, can I increase the protein by that four or five grams? In my meals, can I increase it by 10 grams? And you might just start with breakfast. That might be what you do for a few days or a week of pumping or plumping up your breakfast, your protein intake, and then holding that. Then the next meal you might look at is, okay, can I add more protein to lunch? So an extra 10 to 20 grams of protein at lunch is, so an example would be 100 grams of chicken breast is 30.9 grams of protein. If we could get 120 grams of chicken breast, which is actually not that much more, it's a couple of mouthfuls more, that's 37.1 grams. That's a 6.2 gram increase. If we're having steak for dinner and we're just eating 100 grams of steak, which blows my mind when I see some of my warriors food diaries and their animal proteins are like 80 grams or 90 grams or very rarely do I see 100 grams of animal protein eaten. I can easily eat like 120, 130, 140 grams of like an animal protein in a meal. So say you're eating steak and it's 100 grams. That's 29 grams of protein. If we increase that by 20 grams, again, that's not that much. That's 35 grams. So instead of our total being... Let's use the first example. If I just ate my original breakfast, that's only 14 grams. If I ate my original amount of yogurt from my snack, that's 9.7. Then if I ate 100 grams of chicken breast at lunch, that's 30.9. If I ate my steak, that's 29. That's only 83.6. And now if you were to look at that, well, you can't look at it, but you're listening to me. Most women would think, wow, like I'm eating two eggs for breakfast, I'm eating some yogurt, I'm eating a bit of chicken and a bit of steak for lunch and dinner. I should be getting enough protein. But this is actually some data from one of my my warrior's chronometers. And you add it up, that's only 83.6 grams of protein. And this is where it can blow women's minds because they're like, I can't eat anymore, (laughs) which I don't believe you. Uh, And we can slowly build this up over time. If you are training, training consistently, and if you're moving and if you've got strong biofeedback, you should be damn hungry. So you should be able to eat more. You should want to eat more. I often say to my women, don't you want to be able to eat like as much as you want? Don't you want your maintenance calories to be like really high? So with the increases that I went through, and it's just a little bit in each meal, 
So we changed the breakfast and we added the collagen and the egg. We went to 28 grams. We ate a bit more yogurt. We went to 13.6 grams. We added an extra 20 grams of chicken at lunch. We went to 37.1. We added an extra 20 grams of steak at dinner and we went to 35. And then that comes in at 113.7 grams. That's a 30 gram increase across the day which is an average of 7.5 grams each meal, which I think is totally achievable. That still might be below our goal of 130 grams, but that is the way that I would start to layer it in. You could just start with one meal and focus on increasing the protein in one meal. I would recommend the first thing that you're eating in the day or the first main meal that you're eating in the day. So we can start to work on this front-loading strategy. Then I'd go to the next thing, which is if it might be a snack or it could be your lunch, then I would work on that and try and increase that. And then I would work on the afternoon or the dinner and increasing the protein there. So it was a great question and hopefully that's helpful. Uh, Just to recap, the goal is often based on our total body weight, which can give us a really high target. If you know your lean body mass, work your protein out on your lean body mass. Not saying that you need to eat that little, you can eat more protein, especially if you are wanting to build muscle, especially if you're training at least three, four, five times a week in your strength training. Uh, It would depend on your biofeedback as well, what's going on with your total energy intake, what's going on with the balance and the composition of all of your macronutrients. There's many variables in here. But the first place I would start is, is this my goal? Is 150 grams of protein what I need to be eating right now for my current body composition and for my current activity level? The second is, can I be more strategic with transitioning to that goal? Can I take slower jumps? Could I increase it, you know, by five to 10 grams each meal or snack over the day and layer that in? Or could I just start with one and work on that for three to five days and then start working on my second one? Okay, that's it, Warrior. Hopefully it was helpful. If you have any more questions about that or you want some support with it, you know where to find me. Bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.